Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to Chef Special on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast for professionals. I am your host, Patrick Honeywell. And on today's podcast, get ready for a fusion of Italian, Jamaican, and Moroccan flavors as Chef Brandon Walker shares his inspired signature dish step-by-step so that we can make his recipe at home. Take it away, Brandon. The recipe we're going to talk about today is my goat bolognese dish. Nice. Um, The goat bolognese dish is inspired by my culture, uh, which is the Caribbean culture that from my dad's side of my family. Um, you know, my culinary experience with working in Italian cuisine and just, you know, in the area of the country where I live uh, and when I cook in my restaurant, I like to create dishes that people are familiar with, but put my own spin on it. So that way, when they look at it on the menu, they say, oh, I know what bolognese is. I'm going to have that tonight. But you know what? It's made with goat. Awesome. So, you know, uh, it just kind of makes people, makes people, yeah, makes people think. And then at the same time, I can share with the with my customers what I'm thinking in my head, you know, um, as far as cooking globally. So the recipe is the traditional goat bolognese. Traditional bolognese is made with beef, um, tomato. Some people, some Italians use red wine. Some people don't. Um, you know, basil, herbs, garlic, carrot, onion, you know, and, and so on and so on. So what I decided to do is using that same premise and paying homage to the Italian culture uh, and mixing in my own culture by using goat, the ingredient, and then uh, taking it a step further, who doesn't love Moroccan food? So why not use, you know, Moroccan flavors instead? So what we do, we take about, if if you're going to do it at home, I would say take about a pound of ground goat. You can go to you know, uh, Mediterranean or Eastern uh, or Middle Eastern grocer. Majority of the time, they they will have you know goat goat in in the market. And then, um, you know, what you would do is you would cook the goat, like kind of like sear it a little bit, like you would sear it and cook it in a little olive oil or oil, whatever oil you have at home. To cook it a little bit, then you take it out. And then, you know, you put your onions, you put your carrots in there. Um, I like to put my onions and carrots and garlic in a food processor to make them a little bit smaller. Um, so it kind of like disintegrates into the into the sauce, you know, um, and then I sweat that out. Um, I like to do it in that way. And then um, once we do that, you sweat that out, onions and garlic. At that moment is what I add. I add all the spices. You know, I add uh, paprika, I add um, a little turmeric, I add cardamom, I add fenugreek, I add coriander, I add cumin. Um, and I sweat all those spices out, you know, sweat it with the garsh vegetables. Then I add the meat back, you know, then I add the tomato back. Um, I use whole tomatoes instead of crushed tomatoes because I like the tomatoes to kind of I want I want the the because it's a sauce it's a meat sauce so you want it to be a little chunky you want it to have consistency you want it to have body so that way when you break up the tomato when you when you when this when the sauce cooks and towards the end if the tomato's still whole you can use a whisk to kind of mash up the 
mash up the tomatoes, and then it becomes like this ragu. So you know, it comes kind of like this nice ragu. And then when you go to then when you go to add the pasta to the sauce when you're trying when you're finishing it, then it coats the noodle really really well because let's let's think about it when you're making a pasta dish and you're adding a sauce to the pasta. The most important thing is making sure that the sauce coats the noodle because when you go to eat the noodle, you want to get the noodle and the sauce in every bite. If your sauce is too loose on the noodle, the sauce falls off. In, in my opinion, but you know, there's different ide- ideologies on this. You know, some people may uh, may want to feel that if if the the pasta is um, too starchy, they say it's too starchy, they rinse it off. Well, I mean, it depends. If you're making fresh pasta. You know, you wouldn't want to rinse off the starch. You know what I mean? If you're making dry pasta that's already been dried and you're going to cook it to reheat it again, yes, it's going to leach off a little bit more starch than usual because it's been dried. So maybe that particular chef you're talking about, maybe he's using dry pasta and he wants to, if he's if he's shocking it and cooling it down and saving it for to do for another preparation, exactly. Yes, the, Yes, you want to rinse it off a little bit because it's, it'll stop the pasta from sticking together when you go to reserve it. And that's why some people put olive oil on on the pasta once they finish cook, blanching it and, and shocking it because that kind of helps the pasta from not sticking together so much because they releases the starch once you, re, once you re, um, reconstitute it. That, does that make sense? That's what I do at home. I didn't want to say that until I, ma- I heard that you say it was okay. Right. Yeah. So in that regard, I would say yes. But when you're making fresh pasta, you don't want to rinse off the pasta, you know, because it cooks in a matter of minutes once you, once you put it in the water. There's really no need. There's really no need to shock it or rinse it off with water because you're going to use it right away in that instant. Does that make sense? It does. It does. Yeah. Thank so, you. you know, awesome. Mm-hmm. So once we get the meat back in the pan, you got this herbs, you got the spices in there. Um, and you obviously be seasoning it with salt and pepper. I also put a little pinch of saffron in there. And I also put um, some orange peel. So I take a microplane and I zest the orange peel into the sauce. And then I let the sauce cook for about sometimes two hours, hour and a half, two hours, because I want the goat to really break down. Um, you know, and that's how I like to cook my bolognese sauces is I like to cook it in the oven and let it cook nice and slow and let the meat actually break down and, and all the flavors start to develop together inside of the sauce. You know, that sounds amazing. Uh, yeah. And then uh, once the sauce is done and it's where it's the consistency I want, I take a whisk and I mash up the, the whole tomatoes. So it gives it more body, gives it consistent, good consistency. And then, you know, you can, if you don't, if you don't like making fresh pasta at home, you can definitely uh, buy box pasta, dry pasta. Uh, for this particular sauce, I would, I would uh, suggest you do like a linguine or some type of flat, flat noodle um, or um, a tagatelli, you know, some type of flat noodle. So that when you, when you add it to the sauce, it kind of, grab the, the noodle grabs it. I mean, you could use orecchetti as well. I mean, you could use basically any noodle that you want, but for this particular sauce, I, I believe traditionally bolognese is, is, is eaten with a flat noodle. So, um, you know, um, even pappardelle, if you, if you want to make pappardelle, it would be nice with pappardelle as well. So um, I take the sauce in a pan, 
I add about, I mean, you can add as much cream as you want, but I don't go too crazy with the cream. Um, I'd probably add about, if I, if I had like eight ounces of sauce or something like that, or a cup of sauce, I probably would add like a quarter cup to like maybe a half a cup of cream, you know, and then I add a knob of, a knob of butter. And then um, I add, I take some dates and apricots and I do about a, a, about a teaspoon of each. Because if you add too much of the dates and apricots to it, it's going to make it sweet. And then you don't want it too sweet. Because it's gonna, those flavors are going to kind of break down a little bit from the dates and the apricots. And at one point, I was adding almonds to it. But, you know, people are allergic to nuts. So, you know, I would take the almonds out. Um, so, uh, and then once you do that, you add those ingredients, the cream and the butter. You know, you let it, let it boil a little bit. Then you toss your noodle in there. And you toss it, you toss it, you toss it. And, you know, you want to stir it and toss it until it has like a, like in, in cook culinary terms, we call it nappe. You want to have that like nappe consistency. And so that way, because you know now it's going to coat the noodle. And then you finish it with some aged goat cheese. So Coach Farm has an aged goat cheese. And it's very hard. So you can shave it and grate it like Parmesan. And then now that cheese adds another layer of flavor, the goaty flavor. So it actually tastes like goat. You know, and... um I also, I, I neglected to mention that I also add thyme um, and parsley to the sauce too as it's cooking. Um, and then I also finish the dish with little herbs. Um, I do parsley and chives and um, parsley, chives, and sometimes a little tarragon. Well, let me ask you a question, a quick question. So that makes a lot of sense. The goat, having the goat cheese at the end to, get, to kind of bring out that goaty kind of a flavor. So before you mentioned that, I was thinking, so if you, if somebody were to have some, um, some of the ground goat, uh, in a, in a pasta or in this, did their, your recipe for this. And then next to that, another bowl with, uh, like a hamburger or a turkey burger pasta, if without the goat cheese on, what would the difference be? What would they notice? Uh, or what would we notice on if they didn't know much about goat, you know, what would the difference be? So, so I'm going to make sure I understand your question. So you're saying that if someone had my goat bolognese, right, and then they made a turkey bolognese or, or, or a beef bolognese is what you're saying? or What would they know would be the difference between that and having your goat? Before you put the cheese on, would there be much of a difference? Yes, it would be. I mean, if, you, if, if, if you've ever had goat before, it's, I wouldn't say it's stinky, but it has, goat has a distinct flavor. Um, it has a, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say gamey because it's not, I would say maybe a little gamey. It has a little bit more gamey, gamey flavor versus, uh, versus having it from beef or turkey. You know what I'm saying? So you would definitely notice, notice the difference in the smell and you definitely notice the difference um, once you start to taste it as well. So I wouldn't say game. I would say grassy. It has a little bit more of an earthy, grassy flavor and smell. And uh, so that would be the difference that you would see. That's nice. And then you put the cheese on top. It really kicks it up and separates it from probably anything anyone's ever had. Exactly. Yes, it's fantastic. This is pretty cool because I think if people that come to your restaurant, you serve a goat bolognese. Now, is this something that you serve um, on a menu or is it more a special? Or uh, do you have people come and say, hey, hey, where's the goat bolognese? You I had this last time. How do I get this? How often do you uh, serve that? Oh, I, I usually serve it in the fall. So we're coming up on the fall season. So it's going to be on my menu in the fall this year. 
Um, I still have customers asking me about it. Um, it's a really delicious dish. I mean, I love it. And uh, it just, it makes you feel warm and cozy on a rainy and cold day. You have a nice glass of a red wine with it. It's just an amazing dish. It sounds amazing. It, it's got some of the traditional elements, but I love how you put three cultures, pop it in there, you know, Moroccan, Jamaican, Italian, actually a little bit of the South, you know, American South. So like four, really four cultures moving around yeah. in there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, um, that's the way, that's, that's what America is, right? We're a melting pot of cultures, you know, and why not celebrate that? Um, I mean, that's what, that's what, that's what the American dream is, is being able to, you know, feed and steal and share different techniques from different people who come from, whose lineage comes from different parts of the world. And, uh, you know, and I feel like that, that would make a better place if we all would take the time to just sit down and learn from each other and our culture and learn each other's culture to make, you know, so that we all learn how each other cultures work, you know, and how we all can become one as a community. You know what I'm, you know? Uh, so that's well said. Well yeah, said. and that's what I love Beautiful. about food. Food can, food brings people together in that, in that, in that way. Because, you know, if, because if we think about it, Every culture has the same cooking techniques, but they're just done in a certain different way. Does that make sense? You know, if you it think does. about it, every culture has a dumpling. Think about that. Every <laughs> culture you think yeah. about has a dumpling. They have some form of dumpling, right? Italians have gnocchi. You know, the Caribbean people who have dumpling have a dumpling, but it's made with cornmeal and flour. You know, that's great you know, points. You know, you know, Asian <laughs> the Asian culture has a dumpling as well, but it's a filled dumpling it has meat and usually has meat or vegetables inside of it so you know you know every country has a porridge or some type of meal soup or or or, or um or grain soup or grain um meal that's made with meal or corn you know it, it's, italians have polenta you know people from my culture in the caribbean we have we have they have they, they call it cornmeal porridge in the south it's grits corn that's ground up and made into you know so every culture, and I'm pretty sure people in Asia and India, they have all these different types of meals of porridges and stuff like that. So every culture, yeah, every culture has a technique or particular dish that's similar to each other that we, but made in a different way with different flavors. But somehow, you know, we, we meet it at a common ground because we ha we, it's similar. Does that make sense? If it's so, someone from Asia that has a filled dumpling and, and somebody here in the South does a dumpling, it's, it's a bit different, but it's the way they're speaking through their food. And I, 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 I love it. It's awesome. Now, I want to ask you uh, another question about uh, the goat bolognese. To take it back to the history, do you know when you first made it, roughly? How long ago? I made this dish probably about even my second, second or third year, second or third year. Of, of the restaurant opening. Um, it, I think it was in the fall. I was just thinking about, man, what can I do? You know, how can I be different? What what can I do that's unique that the community hasn't seen or ever tasted before? And I said, you know what? I love goat. Um, you know, I want to make a dish that people will recognize on the menu. And I said, mm, people like, people know bolognese. And then I said, well, okay, well, I just don't want to make goat bolognese with the classic Italian way. How about if I use Moroccan flavors with that? Because you know what? You know, in Morocco, they eat goat. Um, 
they might do it a different way, you know, but, you know, they eat goat deer and I love goat. So why not? Let's try this. Let's, you know, I started thinking, just processing, okay, you know, how, what do I want to feature? How do I want to showcase it? You know, and that's my thought process. Okay. You know, what, what do I love? What flavors do we want to work with this season and this season, you know, and I play around with it and then there you go. It happened and it worked out really, really well. I loved it. And I did it a few times and, and I said, this is a great dish. This is it right here. And um, it came out really, really good. I ran it for a special. It sold really well. And then um, I had to I had to sell my staff on it. And I had to teach them and educate them about, you know, the flavors and stuff like that. So that way they can educate the guests. I let my staff taste it. And then uh, now they, they were able to sell it. And it was really moving really well. So then I decided to keep it on my menu as a staple every season, every fall. So that's how I, that's how the thought process, you know, of it came about. That's really amazing. This is pretty hearty. What would you serve for a dessert? Well, I mean, right now it's where we are. I mean, I mean, I'm pretty sure it's. I don't know. I don't know if it's somewhere where you are, but I mean. It, it's hot right now, you know, and for me, the most uh, refreshing and palate cleansing thing you could have this time of year uh, would be a sorbet. All the farmers right now in my region of the country are growing fruits. Everything is out there. You got peaches, you got plums, you got berries, you got everything. So we got everything at our disposal right now. So why not go to the farm stand and pick up some fresh fruit and make a sorbet? So what I like to do is um, I like to take like um, either blue or berries. I like to take berries. So it could be a cherry. It could be um, cherries, blueberries or raspberries. And I mix them together and then I make a sorbet. So what I do is I mix them together, rinse them off, mix them together. I leave the skins and everything in there, mix them together. And I add about, depending, depending upon the volume of the fruit, um, I add enough water in the container to um, to cover it, or maybe just to go a little bit above of the fruit, of, of the fruit above the fruit, mm-hmm. and then um, I add sugar. I add about oh, I don't know. Let's say I, I do it to taste, and I'm gonna show you why sure. I do it. So I, I add a, about I add, I add but depending on the volume, I add about a cup first, uh, or a cup and a half, or whatever. And then I either use a, a stick blender, a burr mixer, or if I if I don't have one of those, um, you can use a blender, and you, and you um, you can put lemon peel in there, like lemon zest, if you want. Um, you can put some vanilla in there if you want, like scraped vanilla bean in there, you know, just to kind of bump it up a little bit. And then you blend it. And then if you have raspberries and blueberries, you can put it through a chinois or a strainer to get the bits and the seeds and stuff out, and make it smooth. And then I taste it to see how sweet it is. So um, I'm, I was taught the old school way of making, making sorbet. And you're a pastry chef, so you might, you might can identify with this. So the way I was taught how to make sorbet is you take, once you add your sugar inside of the, the mix, you take an egg and you float the egg in, in the, in the uh, not, not crack an egg. You, you leave the whole egg in its shell. You don't need to crack the egg. You float it inside of your base and what that does is because uh, it has something to do with density so what happens is once you put the egg 
inside of the base. And if it floats to the top and the top is the size of a quarter, you have enough sugar inside inside of your base. That tells me that there's enough sugar in my base and I don't have to add any more sugar to the sorbet. And then another old school thing that I was taught was, is that you take an egg white and you froth up an egg white and then you add it to your base. And what the egg white does, it, it helps give you a little bit of body to the sorbet as well um, and a little texture on the palate. Yes. And, uh, and then once you do that, um, you go ahead, you can freeze it at home. At home, what you can do is you can go to um, get a nice, the, the Cuisinart um, ice cream makers. It's basically like a little, a little vessel, a vessel that you pop in the freezer and it freezes overnight. Then you put it on the stand and you put the little, the paddle in there and you turn it on and it spins it and it freezes it. Um, it's kind of like the same way, you know, the old school ice cream machines, but yet they're used by hand. They put ice on the outside and you have the cylinder in, in the middle. It's the same process, but the, the ice is as the actual bowl. And then the paddle that's inside, it scrapes the side as it goes around on the motor. It's the same process. So you do that, you freeze it. And then once, you, once, once the machine, Cuisinart machine freezes it, you pop it in your freezer and you have sorbet. Nice. Wow. Yeah. That's the perfect so. uh, with that goat bolognese, I think, because it's the goat bolognese sounds super rich and really mm -hmm. hearty. And you go, oh my gosh, yeah. I'm not going to have like a hot fudge sundae after this. I'm not going to have a big Absolutely. chocolate piece. <laughs> well, I'm going to ice cream and chocolate cake. But the sorbet for the palate and it's sweet, light, and yep. uh, what a great recipe. Yeah. That sounds amazing. Yeah. Well, I tell you, this is this is good stuff. Now uh, I probably have about ten people that get off my back because they say call you. <laughs> now, if I called you and I said, "Hey, can you give me that recipe?" You go, "Yeah, right." The restaurant's busy. I mean, you because you have a you have great following at Essie's, and uh, I, I let me get back to you. So I thought if I could kind of grab you and get you to be on the podcast again, everybody would be able to hear it and reference it and listen to it a couple times, take notes. And, Absolutely. Uh, yeah, Listen, I love you know, it. I uh -huh. Look, Patrick, I don't mind sharing, you know, uh, sharing recipes and sharing, sharing food is what we do, is what I do. I love to do it. I love to help people. If, it, if, it, if I can help someone expand their culinary journey, why not? You know, because someone helped me, someone helped me push forward and helped me develop my skills. So why not help, you know, develop someone else as well? You know, it's, it's part of the whole, it's part of the crowd of the craft. And we do it every day in our everyday lives by training people how to cook our food, you know, or make our pastry, you know, because at the end of the day, cooking is all about technique and our ancestors and every culture, they're all practicing the same techniques, but doing it in different ways. And that's what makes cooking great is because there's, there's more than more than one way to skin a cat. There's more than one way to butcher a fish and there's different cats out there. That's correct. As I listen to you, I know that you're trained, you know, CI trained, you have a really good background uh, with, with cooking and, you know, your skills are high. But what I really like is I know that you're like a super flavor guy. So you, you develop flavors, the way you do your spices and all your additions. So there could be a lot of traditional ways to make something. I mean, a lot of things, you're more of a probably a French trained style with a mix of cultures. But I know I know that you put your heart into everything and it's like kicking the level up of each food you make. And, um, I catching a lot of it, I think in this bull recipe. So I want to thank you for sharing that. 
Thank you. I appreciate that very much. I appreciate the opportunity. And I, it's always fun to talk food. You know, I can talk food all day. Thanks for joining the podcast today, Chef. I, I really enjoy speaking with you. Oh, you're welcome. Anytime. Anytime. And I enjoy speaking with you, Pat. Thank you so much for giving me another opportunity to share my craft and to share my love of cooking with you and your, and your audience. And I look forward to doing it again. Thank you, Chef. You're welcome. Thank you. If you have any thoughts or ideas that you'd like to see for recipes, write to me if you can on Facebook or, or also on Instagram and let me know what you think. For all of you listening out there, Chef Special is part of the Believe Podcast Network. Check it out at Believe.com. And follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Patrick Honeywell. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.